Hello again to all participants and welcome to our QDI webinar. My name is Anna David and I'm a content manager within the QDI discovery team. Today, our speaker is Dr. Lynn Mullen, an expert from the QDI scientific and technical support team. Lynn completed her PhD at Harvard University and continued to teach at Harvard after receiving her doctorate. Before her time at Harvard, she spent several years as a research scientist at the Senior Sinai Prostate Cancer Center and at Quest Diagnostics. Additionally, Lynn has had many years of experience conducting research to identify the genetic basis of human ophthalmic genetic disorders, having worked at the Department of Ophthalmology at both UCLA and the University of Florida. Lynn has received numerous awards and fellowships from the National Science Foundation, the American Society of Mammalogists, and other esteemed institutions. Today, she will be walking us through IPA's analysis match and related features. Thank you very much, Anna. Gonna turn off the video. <laughs> Stop it. Okay. All right, so let's get started. Um, welcome everyone. And um, today I'm gonna show you, as Anna mentioned, the analysis match tool. So this is really one of the most powerful of IPA's features. Um, what it does is it takes the power of IPA's causal analytics and uses it to compare your analyses and your data sets to those from a massive amount of different publicly available um, data sets and the analyses that we've processed. So this can give you a unique opportunity to make biological discoveries. And this is just a note that the software that we're presenting today is just for research purposes only. So I'm um, just giving you the agenda for today's webinar. I wanna first provide you with a short overview about um, what information underlies analysis match and tell you how the publicly available data sets are processed for these comparisons and then also which types of comparisons we're making. I'm next going next gonna to describe the data set that we're going to use in our live demo of IPA. And then during that demonstration, I'm going to come back to the slide so I can tell you more about the matches and how the matches and the data sets um, are all processed together. And after a short summary, um, we'll have some time to answer some questions you may have. Okay. So IPA has many features that can help you to discover the underlying biology of your experiments. And some examples of features in IPA that I know a number of you have used it in um, before, and you might recognize this. Um, those of you who haven't used IPA may not know about its full capabilities, but here you're able to, when you run a core analysis, you can find significantly enriched canonical pathways and upstream regulators and diseases and find networks and, and much, much more. Now, a few years ago, Kyogen acquired a company called Omicsoft, and part of their offerings was the curation of publicly available data sets. So we were able to take advantage of this information and create um, several different features. So the first one was called IPA's Land Explorer. So what you can do here is while you're in IPA, you can investigate a single gene and then go to this IPA Land Explorer to find out how that gene of interest is expressed across a large spectrum of 
disease and normal samples and tissues, and you can provide plot, um, sorry, survival analyses and a lot more. Um, what we're going to discuss today is based on um, also upon the Omicsoft curated data. So we have activity plot and pattern search and the focus of today analysis match. So why would you want to use analysis match? Well, there's a lot of publicly available data that's available that you would probably really like to get some use of, but it can be really challenging and time consuming to go through all of it and try to figure out what's relevant to your experiments. So what if you could easily and quickly identify other data sets or other analyses that looked like your own? So maybe you could find ones that have similar upstream regulators or activated canonical pathways, or you could find analyses or data sets that actually are showing very different biological characteristics than your own. So that's the goal of the analysis match feature. Now, before the feature was introduced, you could compare up to 20 different analyses using the comparison analysis tool in IPA. But now what you can do is you can have the analysis match feature automatically look for similarities and differences with those generated from over 149,000 publicly available human, mouse, and rat data sets. And as a bonus, you can also compare your data set and analyses to all of the data sets that you've uploaded of your own and your own analyses that you've performed so far. So now you can feel more confident about your results. For example, you might find that your results and other studies that are examining the same disease show similar patterns of upregulation of key biomarker genes. Or you could find unexpected insights into the biological mechanisms that are shared between studies. So for example, you might find that your study and others that are examining what may seem like unrelated diseases are all showing an increase in something like fatty acid-related processes. So that could be a clue to their etiology. Whoops. And then analyses that are different from your own. So in other words, they could be considered anti-matches can also provide you with key insights. So for example, let's say that you've given a mouse a psoriasis treatment and the upstream regulators in your analysis show the opposite activity pattern to rheumatoid arthritis. So maybe that drug could be used for rheumatoid arthritis. And just one little note, the analysis match feature does require an additional license on top of IPA's regular license. So if you don't have the analysis match license, I'm going to provide you with some information at the end of the webinar about how you can obtain one. So there's a lot of data that we have in IPA regarding analysis match, and I'm going to talk about basically two main components of them. So the first is the Kyogen knowledge base and then our Omicsoft repository of the data. So let's discuss the knowledge base first. A lot of you who have used IPA have probably heard about the knowledge base. Um, and this is one of the best in class databases that are out there and it underlies all the results that you see in our program. So it allows you to really easily and very quickly just visualize the data from publications and access um, databases that are relevant and important for your research. 
So we created the knowledge base over 20 years ago, and it could be thought of as having two general categories. So we have ingenuity expert findings. So these are literature sources that are manually curated by our team of MDs and PhDs, and those are updated every week. And we also have scientists who create different pathways and talks lists and much more. And the second main category of the knowledge base are the findings that we import from third parties and databases like Cosmic. We have Reactome Pathways, clinicaltrials.gov, and much, much more. So those are updated every quarter. So together, those are components of the Cayuge knowledge base that are telling you about the results that you would get in many aspects of IPA. Now, the second component is the thousands of analyses that are constructed for use in IPA. So what we did here is um, our Omicsoft team downloaded these, this data from databases like SRA and GEO and TCGA and much more. And the data from microarray and RNA-seq data, although we do have some proteomics data that we're starting to also curate. And then what our team did is we went through this processing, curation, and an extensive quality control mechanisms to put that into what we call LANs. And I'll, I'll tell you a teeny bit more about what a LAND is in just a minute. So then the IPA team took all that data and took what now, right now we have 149,000. We're going to have a lot more as, as time progresses. Um, and then we took the ratios of data from um, different data sets. And it, then that was uploaded into IPA for analysis. And both the data sets and the analyses are located in a special repository in IPA. And I'm going to show you later in the webinar where you can view them. So this data. Sorry, I think we're the a technical glitch. Get... Um, Lynn, your audio disappeared for a moment there. Oh, okay. Oops. Um, where did it disappear? <laughs> um, probably you can just start over this slide. Really? Okay. I'm very oh, sorry um... about that. So right here? Can you guys hear me? Yeah, we can. Um from lands. Okay, from this point, we're talking about the lands. Okay, so um, when after we took that data from the lands, what we did is we took the 149,000 plus data sets and we looked for make comparisons. So for example, we're looking at treatment groups versus controls, that sort of thing. And then that gets updated and uploaded into IPA. And so together that's the, um, that's what forms the basis for the pattern search, activity plot, and for analysis match. Okay, so I mentioned what is a land. So basically what a land is, is databases that contain all that curated material. And so they're named according to the type of data that are in there. So we have a lot of different lands from, that we're using in IPA. So we have disease land, as you can see on the left side of the screen, for human, mouse, and rat. And we also have information from links. And as the name implies, we have onco land, which 
has oncology data. So we have information from TCGA and from pediatric and metastatic and hematological cancers, as well as ENCODE. And as I mentioned a little bit earlier, we're also starting to get um, proteomic data from, um, from oncology sources. And then the, um, sorry, like that. The, we also started to generate single cell data. And so we have that from mouse and human. And then the last thing that I'm going to mention are the GTECs. This is the Genotype Tissue Expression Project. So what it can do is it can compare your data to the normal expression of, of RNA in tissues. And just like the information in the knowledge base, the number of samples and the data sets that we get grows with every quarterly release. So digging down a little bit deeper into how the data is curated, the samples within the studies are assigned to different groups for the analysis. So there are several main categories that I'm showing here that such as treatment versus controls, diseases versus normal, comparisons of treatment one versus treatment two, et cetera. And anything that doesn't fall into these categories is put into an other comparison. So for example, if we're having data that looks at patients that are in remission, we can compare those to ones that have been recently diagnosed. And for those of you who have uploaded your data into IPA before, you might recognize that we have these options um, when uploading it. Some of these options are shown when uh, it asks you for metadata. Okay. So now that I've told you about the information that underlies IPA and the analysis match feature, I want to talk about the strategies that we used for processing the data sets and the analyses. Okay. So those of you who have uploaded your data in IPA know that you have to analyze what are the most significantly perturbed molecules in your data set rather than all the molecules in your data set. So one way of doing this is to set some sort of cutoffs, like you can have FDR or p-value cutoffs or expression values, or you can have a combination of the two. And as you can imagine, with over 149,000 different experiments, there's going to be a lot of variation in the number of molecules that are truly significant among the studies. So therefore, we tried to uh, standardize how many molecules are going to be what we call analysis ready. So in general, when you're setting up your core analysis, we give a general recommendation of having 100 to 3,000 analysis-ready molecules. Um, but we really decided here to kind of aim towards the middle of that range. So 1,000 analysis-ready molecules for these comparison data sets was um, the set. And what I'm going to do now is I'm going to illustrate the process by which we identified the most significant genes in each comparison. And we're going to use an um, example of a breast cancer hypoxia study. And so here's a little cartoon. It's a gradient that represents the entire data set. So the red represents genes that are upregulated and green those that are downregulated. And for this particular study, we had an affymetrics array that had over 54,000 probes. So our first step in the process is we want to filter the data set. So we're going to use generally a p-value that's less than 0.01. And then if fewer than 50 genes survive, then we're going to discard the data set for the analysis. We keep the data set in the repository, but we just don't analyze it. 
If there's up to a thousand genes left, then we analyze it. But what if you have a, more than a thousand genes that pass that p-value? So here's what we do. And I'm gonna show you that with this example. <laughs> okay, so in this example, when we did that with this study, we ended up having over 2000 um, rows in that data set still survive. And we could go ahead and just set, you know, okay, we're going to have a, you know, minus one log ratio value as the cutoff and a plus one. But what we decided to do is we decided to take the proportion of the genes that are upregulated and those that are downregulated. So in this particular example, 69% of those surviving molecules were upregulated and 31% were downregulated. And then what we can do is um, this is what we did. Okay, so you can see that there's different ranges and different values. All right, now one of the things you want to consider is even though we aim for about a thousand genes, you might see some analyses with a thousand genes, and that's really okay. Um, and sometimes you won't see, like, if you start with a thousand and two thousand and you end up with, okay, um, I have what happened. There are there are identifiers that completely disappeared on me. Well, that could be because they're duplicates of the same gene, or they were merged into orthologs upon upload into IPA. Okay. All right, and so you may ask, okay, I have a core analysis. There's a lot of stuff in there. So what are you comparing? What we can do here is we're going to create a biological signature using four main types of results. So we're going to look at canonical pathways. We're going to look at upstream regulators, master upstream regulators, which we call causal networks, and also diseases and biological functions. And I'm going to refer to these four different types of results as entities for the rest of the presentation. Okay, so now that I've described the overall basics of IPA and Omicsoft data and how they've been processed, now I want to introduce you to the example we're going to use to demonstrate analysis match. So during the live demo that follows, I'm also going to tell you more about how the statistics that are used to make the matches. So the data for our webinar is looking at how SARS-CoV and SARS-CoV-2 affect host tissues. So in this particular um, experiment, they took A549-ACE2 cells and they infected them with either SARS-CoV or, or SARS-CoV-2. And then they took time measurements of 6, 12, and 24 hours. And they used a multi-omics approach. The, the title of the paper just says proteomics, but they actually had um, proteomics, um, phosphoproteomics and transcription data, transcriptomics data. And that's what we're gonna use today. And what I did is I took the 12 hour time point for our live demo. And when I was setting cutoffs for this particular analysis, I used an FDR of 0.05. And because it's an RNA-seq data set, I set the user data set option for the reference set. Okay, and with that, let's go ahead and go into IPA. All right, so just a really quick overview of our welcome screen. So here in the middle, you can see our quick start menu. So this is where we have different tutorials to help you um, begin and understand analyses. And there's also down here at the bottom, there's a shortcuts tab. So you can actually, you know, just go ahead and get started with your analyses. And you can also go up um, here, there's a file, 
you know, new with all the different options we have. You can also do the same options with create new. And then up here in the middle, we have different places that you can go if you want to perform searches for genes, diseases, pathways. And importantly, you can perform searches for analyses that are in the Omicsoft repository, as well as your own. And then down here, we have your project manager, and this is where your projects are stored. And if you go into the libraries tab right here, you can see we have an Omicsoft folder. So as I keep clicking on the arrows, you can see that there's how everything is structured and where you can find the different data set files if you want to look at them here in different analyses. Okay. And then if you ever have, um, if you're curious about, well, I don't know what's going on. Um, I forgot what she said about, you know, X, Y, and Z. You can always go to the help menu and we have a number of tutorials and video tutorials and there's a um, online help manual that you can access here. All right. So I've already opened up the analysis match results. And so here they are. And I'm going to go ahead and expand this so you can see it a little bit better. And <clears throat> excuse me. So as many of you know who have used Analysis Match, or sorry, IPA, there's a whole bunch of different information like pathways, upstream analysis. But to find Analysis Match, you just go to this tab. It's automatically present when you open your core analysis. And I mentioned before, you can also look at your analyses. But to keep things really simple for this particular webinar, I went ahead and filtered out everything that I use. And I kept it just for the Omicsoft repository. So you can see here when I click on this little funnel icon, um, here are all the different, it's like a mini project manager. And I just set it to Omicsoft right now. OK. I'm going to walk you through the columns you see. These are This is what appears by default when you open the tab. So I'm going to go into a little bit more detail about this name, because this is actually pretty important. Um, in terms of how they're structured and how you can really understand what you're seeing. So the names will always start with a number. And that number refers to the number of experimental groups that were in a study. So oftentimes you're going to have more than one experimental group, like you could have multiple time points within the same study. And each of those time points would have their own data set in IPA. So um, for here, let's imagine that you have a study that had eight different time points, and the seven would just you know, indicate that this was the seventh time point in that study. And then the next part of the name, like we have lung adenocarcinoma, that indicates the disease state. And that refers also, you can see that in this case disease state column. And then what is in brackets is the, um, the tissue from which that RNA or um, was extracted or DNA was extracted. So here we have alveoli, and that's also shown here in the case um, tissue. And in some cases, you're going to see something that says normal control. I can see here, I think it's the fifth one. And this doesn't mean that it's a control sample. What it means is that the starting tissue came from normal tissue, but it was induced to have some sort of effect. So for example, we can see here that it was treated with um, IL-1 beta. And that brings up the next thing, which is what treatment was given. So here we can see after the uh, name in brackets, we have whatever treatment was given. And that's also shown in that case treatment column as well. 
And then the final part of the name has a number. And this is not something that you really need to worry about. What it was, it's an internal sort of control that we made so that we can make sure that each analysis is unique. So if you want to go into more details about the results in a core analysis for a particular match or anti-match, all you have to do is click on this. It's a hyperlink and it will open up the core analysis. So you could go in and say, okay, I want to see um, what the pathways were, upstream analysis. I want to go into more details about that. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and um, click on that. So as we're looking at this just by eye, we can see that there's a number of matches with, you know, lung adenocarcinoma. We have a number of infections. So there was a Zika and Ebola. And um, also we have some inflammatory diseases like we have rheumatoid arthritis, um, ulcerative colitis. So we're, we are starting to pick up some signatures here of... Um, of SARS-CoV, the, what the phenotypes that would be um, similar to them. So sometimes that you're going to see some, um, you're going to see some things that are seem weird, <laughs> honestly. Uh, but it's really important to not discount them. <clears throat> excuse me, offhand. You're going to want to keep in mind that those matches could give you some clues as to the disease or phenotypes that have similar mechanisms of action that were previously unknown. So many of you already know your disease, your phenotype, whatever you're studying really well. So it may make sense to you when you see something that looks like it's unrelated. But I'm going to show you in a couple minutes how you can kind of dig deeper into that and see, oh, okay, this is why um, this was a match. Um, so now let's look at the other columns that I haven't described already. We have the target gene. So that tells you which gene in a link study was overexpressed. And then we have the comparison category. So if expanding that a little bit, you can see here um, the information that I showed you on that previous slide, like treatment one versus treatment two, treatment versus control, and more. And then the comparison contrast is, I think, probably one of the most important things. It's the thing I tend to look at first um, when I'm looking at um, what's going on with the match. So here, see so right here, the SARS-CoV data set has a match with SARS-CoV-2. So not surprising. And as we're scanning this, we can see there's a number of SARS-CoV and um, that we can see throughout the, these um, results right here. And then the next column tells you the platform and the, um, the geo-accession number. And so this is a hyperlink. And what you can do is click on that. And let's see, I clicked on it earlier. Let's see if it's still open. No, it's not because <laughs> it logged me out. Um, what you can do is just click on it. And what it's going to do is it's going to take you into IPA's Land Explorer. So you can go ahead and you can see what... Um, the gene the distribution of genes are and their p-values and full change values among other information and then going back into ipa finally you can see there's this web link right here it's not hyperlinked but it truly is a web link and it will take hello lynn um i think your audio is lost again Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now. Oh, okay. All right. You were so, pressing the web link when you cut yes. off. Yes. 
Okay, great. Thank you. Right. So this doesn't look like a web link because it's not blue, but it actually is a hyperlink. So all you need to do is click on it and it'll take you to Geo or whatever source we had um, where we got the information. So you can look at the paper it came from. You can look at the samples and um, and just get a better idea. So sometimes when I'm looking at a match, like the second one where it says disease control kidney, like what the heck is that? Why is that there? Um, what you can do is just click on that link. And what I did is I did that already. And here's the geoaccession viewer. So this comes from a study where they looked at brain dead kidney donors and when I looked at the paper, what these um, samples were from were from, uh, sorry, sorry, um, let me go back. These are the different samples that you can click on. And what you can do when you go back into IPA is you can go to this customized table button. And then when you scroll down, you'll see here are the sample IDs. And we can add that here. So I can go ahead and I can look at these samples and then compare them to what I see in GEO and say, okay, which ones were from this study? Like which this brain dead kidney donor that corresponds to this particular one. Um, and that's really important when you have like multiple observations that are occurring. And, and what we found here though, is this was a case where the kidneys were from brain dead individuals. So the kidneys from this donors had been in ischemia, so they've been put on ice. And genus expression was measured right around the time they were going through reperfusion. So blood flow was starting to begin. And the authors noted that the samples were showing pathways at that point in time that were consistent with hypoxia and also with um, innate immune activation. So that does seem to be key signatures of SARS-CoV and also SARS-CoV-2. Okay, so now what I want to talk about is the rest of these columns. So this consists of the ranks of the matching scores. So this tells you a statistic about how these matches were calculated. So um, as I mentioned before, we have four different entities. So we have the pathways, the UR stands for upstream regulators, causal networks, and the DE, it's the diseases and functions, but we just put in DE to indicate downstream effects. So um, we did score them also by the p-value, and I'll talk about that in a minute. That isn't shown by default, but like a lot of information, you can go to this customized table button and over here, there's a lot of different metadata options that you can add to the table, like I did with the samples. And if you've ever looked um, at the metadata option when you're uploading your data set, you'll probably recognize a lot of these different options here. And one of the reasons why it might be really neat to add that data when you are uploading your data set is so that when you're looking at your analysis from um, matched results, like you're doing here, you could go ahead and you could filter and say, hey, I'm interested in the smoking status of, you know, my particular study. And then you can filter for that information right here. Okay. So um, I'm going to go back now to my slides and I'm going to talk about that scoring method. Okay. Right. Okay. 
So let's start with the z-score calculation. So a lot of you who have uploaded expression data into IPA, you might remember an activation z-score. So that tells you about the activation predictions for, say, a pathway. You know, is it activated or is it predicted to be inhibited? And the z-score that we're using is a really good statistic to use when you're trying to make apple to oranges comparisons. So when you're trying to go ahead and you're going to take a look at data sets that and analyses that are seem to be completely different from your own. So the first z-score I'm going to talk about has to do with um, the significant, you know, and all of them are, have a significance threshold of greater than or equal to um, an absolute value of two. And the reason we do that is because to make the apples to oranges comparison, you standardize everything to a mean of zero. And then anything that's two standard deviations is considered to be statistically significant. All right, so this first activation z-score, which tells us about the prediction of activity, basically what that does is it looks at the data set molecules and whether they're upregulated, like I'm showing here in this cartoon in red with a plus sign, or downregulated, shown with the green and the minus sign. And then we compare that to what we expect to see about how these data set molecules should be interacting. Like, what do we expect to see from the literature? And the more consistent that is, the stronger we feel, um, the, the stronger the statistical support for a prediction of activation or inhibition. Okay. Now, some of that is that information, and I'll show you in a minute, is actually used when we're calculating the z-score for analysis match. Now, this is a different z-score. And it's basically just saying how different are the patterns we see in your data set to the other patterns, what we see in the queried analyses. So I'll talk more now about how these z-scores are calculated. So I'm going to use an example of an upstream regulator. So to match the examples, um, so I'm going to use, sorry, <laughs> so to match the analyses, we first want to go through and look at your core analysis and try to identify what were the most significant entities within that analysis. And to do that, we're going to look at anything that had an absolute score, z-score, of greater than or equal to 2, and it had to pass a p-value of less than 0.05. Now, a lot of times you're going to have a ton of different entities that pass this. So what we do is we then cut it down to try to find the top ones. So we're going to take the end topmost and the end bottommost, and we set it to 50 for the upstream regulators, canonical pathways, and downstream effects, and just 10 for canonical pathways. OK, so what happens in this case, OK, um, we end up with 50 of the top ones and 50 of the most inhibited ones, so a total of 100. Okay. And so you can think about this as creating a signature for your analysis. Okay. And then what we do is we query all of the analyses with our signature. So here I have four illustrations of what you might potentially see. So each line within the box right here represents an upstream regulator match from an analysis that we've queried. 
And the first example shows you a strong match. So you can see there's many lines in here. There's a lot of matches. And most of the activity patterns are similar. So the orange is representing activation and the blue is representing inhibition. So there's a lot of similarities here. The next two different gradients are represent weaker matches. So here there's fewer lines, so there's fewer matching upstream regulators overall, and they're just showing some op um, opposite activity patterns. And so, um, you know, we only have about three matches here, and out of the three, one is actually inhibited. So they're kind of weak. And then the last gradient is a strong anti-match. So we have a lot of significant upstream regulators in the data set that are present in our analysis, but they all show opposite activity patterns. So this is therefore an example of a data set that has an opposite biological signature to our own. And note that each regulator would count equally within that top or bottom um, upstream regulator. So once you have some sort of regulator or disease or function is in that top 50 or in that bottom 50, then it doesn't matter what their z-score or their p-value was. It doesn't matter if they had, you know, the topmost p-value or, or, or z-score. It just matters that they match. Okay, so now what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk to you how those calculations are made. So again, what we're going to do is we're looking at the z-score as a measure of the matching of the molecules or the biological attributes that are associated with an, with an entity. And what we're doing is we're assuming that that pattern that we're looking at between these two sets of entities is just random. And so here, um, the z-score, again, I've mentioned is that it's greater than or equal to 2 is significant or if it's less than or equal to minus two, it's statistically significant. So in this simple example that I'm showing here on the left, you can see a cartoon with circles. And each one of those, each one of those circles represents an upstream regulator in my analysis. And using that same color coding that I mentioned before, where orange is, up or sorry, orange is activated and blue is predicted to be inhibited, you can see that we have um, four activated upstream regulators and six um, inhibited. So this represents our signature for our analysis. And then what we do is we perform the match. So here's an example of a different analysis. And these matches, um, when something is a match, it gets a plus sign. So right here, we can see that these are all matches, A, B through E is match, HIJ, those are matches. So they're matched because they're in the data set and they show the same activity pattern, okay? But we also see a case where F in our data set doesn't show up in this one, and K shows up in this data set, but it doesn't show up in our analysis. So those particular genes are not part of the z-score. They don't get a plus or a minus. We can see that G here shows an opposite activity pattern, so it gets a minus, okay? All right, so from this information, we calculate this z-score. We're looking at the number of matches minus the number of mismatches, and we took the square root of all the matches. So this is what we get right here, um, and we get a 2.33 raw z-score, and that matches because it's greater than 2, our cutoff. So here we conclude that it is a match.
Now, what we wanted to do is we wanted to normalize the scores so we can compare them across different um, data sets. And we also wanted to simplify how they're reported. So instead of reporting the actual z-score, we're going to convert them into a percentage. So to do the normalization, what we did is we used the same z-score formula um, as before and then calculated it by comparing our analysis with um, an analysis that was a perfect match. So this would be a perfect match to ours. So here we have a total of 10 upstream regulators. And using that same equation, we can see that the, if you had a 100% perfect match, you would have a 3.16 for your z-score. And then what we're going to do is we're going to divide the raw z-score by that perfect match. So here again, here's our cartoon of what I just showed you on the previous slide. And we're gonna take that raw Z-score that was here. So you remember it was a 2.33. And when we divide that by the 316, we get a 74% match. And that's out of a range of 100%. So it's a pretty good match. There's the other way that I mentioned before, you can calculate matches and that's via the p-value. And this isn't shown by default, but basically what it's saying is um, using the right tail Fisher's exact test, we're trying to calculate the probability that proportion of overlapping, um, but the overlap between the two sets is due to chance alone. And the null hypothesis is that the sets are independent. So what we're considering is just using that Fisher's exact test, we're looking at the set of the two entities, we cap it at 100, and the size of the overlap, and then all the possible entities across all the analyses. And then what we also do is we don't just give you a z-score for every type of entity, we give you an overall score. So for the z-score, it's really simple. All we do is take that z-score percentage and just average it. Um, the p-value is a little bit more complex. So what we do here is it is a percent similarity that we'll show you, but you'll notice in the screenshot below that we're actually reporting the p-values instead rather than a percent similarity. And the reason for this is because um, the percentages are harder to in easily interpret. And we're not using a 100% match here. We're actually setting it to just 50, just mathematically made a lot more sense. And we're just calculating that percentage versus that match, just, just like we did in the other one where we're looking at what's the um, perfect match and take the average of those. So here's the average that's shown here. So 44% out of 50% possibility. So that's a pretty good match. And you might ask, well, okay, which one should I use? Should I use both? Should I pick one? And the answer is, and you're going to hate this answer, it depends. <laughs> it depends on your results. So I would always recommend checking the p-values and the z-scores, um, especially if you have a match that's questionable. And because I've noticed a lot of the time, though, that if you have a significant z-score, you do tend to have a significant p-value, but it's always good to check. Okay, so let's go back into IPA and let's take a closer look at the matches and their scores. So one powerful thing that you can do here is you can filter this information to get to um, a smaller set of results. So I have, you know, 133,000 different matches. I can't work with that. I need something smaller. So I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to put a 43% 
We don't have a recommendation for what you put in because everybody's going to be different. Um, and, and now you've noticed that we now have a new color. So the ones that are fuchsia color are the positive matches and the ones that are in cyan are our anti-matches. So the, those are the ones that show very different biological signatures. And the z-score runs from 100% positive to 100% negative. And we chose a scale because it's a lot easier to determine, well, what's my anti-match besides just looking at the color? And so you can see here that the most significant anti-match is actually to an Alzheimer's disease. In fact, I saw that there were several Alzheimer's diseases results, which is kind of interesting. Um, and also, before we've seen all our matches were from the human disease um, a little bit of oncogeo and a little bit of mouse disease, but now our anti-matches are all single cell data. And I don't know enough about this to understand why that would be. I'm sorry, um, but maybe those of you who are um, experts in Alzheimer's or SARS-CoV could, could tell us um, what, you, what your hypothesis is about that. Okay, so um, right now what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go ahead and show you the last column which is DM, which stands for data set match. And I'm gonna go back to my slides to describe this. Um, it's a fairly new feature that we introduced into IPA. Okay, so data set match works differently as analysis match, as the name implies, we're matching data sets to data sets, not analyses to analyses. So I'm gonna show you again a gradient um, it represents the range of expression values in a data set. So here I've colored the genes now by whether they're um, upregulated as red or they're downregulated as green. And the cutoffs we use this time for your data set are whatever you decided to use for your cutoffs to get to that magic 100 to 3000-ish analysis-ready molecule se section. So that is going to be your signature. And then what we do is we match it up with the analysis-ready genes from the publicly available data sets. So the um, black boxes and the gradients represent the most significant analysis-ready genes, and each line in the box represents a gene that matches from another data set. So um, like before, I'm showing you examples of strong matches and also um, weak matches and strong anti-matches. And note that the ranking of the gene isn't considered. So it doesn't matter if a gene has a low ratio, log ratio value. What matters is, does it match to an analysis-ready gene in your data set? Um, and importantly, the z-scores and the p-values are calculated via the same methods I've described earlier. So I don't, we don't have to listen to that. <laughs> anymore and I don't have to describe it. So you can just go back and, and take a look at those slides or on our online help manual to, to see more information about that. Okay, so now let's go back into IPA and um, take a look at what data set match looks like. So I'm going to sort the z-score columns so we can go ahead and um, just looking at the results. Let me just get rid of this filter right now so we can see um, what it looks like from the start. Okay, there we go. And all you need to do is just, I'm going to click on the header to filter it. And I have to click on it twice because it likes to show me what's the anti-match first. And I'm not interested in that right now. 
Um, and so now uh, what we can see are the, um, the data set matches. So interestingly, we now we're seeing a lot of data set matches to single cell data. And, um, but when I look at the comparison again, you can see that there's a lot of SARS-CoV um, different data, SARS-CoV-2 as well. So we're still getting pretty good matches here, but it's interesting that we're getting single cell data. And I haven't looked into why we have the cardiac stem cell information, um, but that would be kind of interesting to kind of pry into why we're seeing a really good match for, for that data set. Okay. Um, and now what I want to do, we're going to go back. Okay. Whoops. I want to sort again by the z-score instead. And we'll go back and do the filtering to 43%. And what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to give you um, more information about what you can do with this, with this data. So um, one of the options that you can do is you can look at what metadata terms are significantly enriched. And what we can do is we can just select, you know, a bunch of terms that we're interested in. I'm just going to select a bunch and click on this evaluate metadata button. And you see a little table pop up. It's always at the bottom of the screen. Um, and so now you can see what terms are actually significantly enriched in the what, what we've selected. So we can see that a lot of the data sets have this particular term of ACE2 and transfected cell line. Um, we can see that there's a lot of tissues, um, alveoli. We see that there's a lot of um, IL-1 beta. So you can go through these, and this might give you some clues as to um, what's most significant as well. And then another thing that you can do is let's, you know, you can see over here, okay, I see a lot uh, in the CDP column, it looks like, you know, there's a lot of good matches here and upstream regulators have a lot more, like 60% in most cases. And we're not seeing as much for causal networks, but what are they? It's not just, you know, what canonical, the canonical pathways or upstream regulators show a lot of similarities and that's driving it, but which ones are. So what you can do is highlight those like I've done here and then click on this view as heat map button <clears throat> Excuse me. And then what this is going to do is it shows you a heat map. And this is colored by that activation z-score where you have um, orange again represents that the um, entity was activated, predicted to be activated, and blue represents it was predicted to be inhibited. And each of these columns represents a matching analysis that I've selected, and ours is colored in pink. And by default, it shows it via hierarchical clustering method. And you can see over here, there's this dendrogram that shows what's matching or most, most closely related to each other. But you can also go here to this cluster columns and it will show you also um, which, <clears throat> excuse me, which matches are most similar um, via the data sets. And sometimes when you're looking at these, you can think, oh, this one, you know, these are kind of light, so maybe they're not significant. Um, but then what I, I always, again, like to use that significance threshold of two for my z-scores. So to make it easier on our lives, um, what I can do is this insignificance threshold and click a two, 
And um, when I hit apply, that puts in a little dot into the cells that actually don't have the significant z-score. So you can see as I'm you know, scrolling down here, we're starting to see a lot of you know, interesting upstream regulators and um, et cetera that are activated across these different analyses. Okay. Um, and then you can, you know, export that information, you can set some filters on it. And then if you want to go ahead and you want to create a comparison analysis from these, um, you can just click on, you know, the different links here, and then view comparison, a regular comparison analysis in IPA. And um, you can also do the same thing here with view comparison. So you can do up to um, 20 different options. Okay. All right, so with this, I'd like to end our live demo of IPA, and I'm going to go back to our slides to just summarize um, what we've talked about today. So we've discussed the power of analysis match, which again is allowing you to compare your analyses and your data sets to more than 149,000 publicly available um, data sets curated in IPA. So you can find which, which data sets are, are good matches, that are consistent. You can find which ones that are unexpected and seem a little odd, but may give you some clues as to underlying biology of your data. And then you can also find ones that are anti-matches that might also give you some clues. And um, I've shown you how you can, how, what the underlying information is behind analysis match, how the matches were created, and also how you can expand upon analysis match using data set match. And then also go in and visualize that data and find significant metadata terms that can give you even more information. Oops. Okay. And with that, I just want to, you know, thank you all for attending. If you have any questions that come up later after our Q&A session, um, or you need any help with like technical issues, scientific questions, or you want to obtain a license um, for IPA or an analysis match license, or even a trial, then please feel free to contact us. Um, we can expect a response within one business day. We're open Monday through Friday, um, 20 hours um, a day. And here are our emails, phone numbers, and our chat. And that's within also um, the slides that we have um, that um, Anna has shared with you in the chat. Okay, and with that, I'd like to um, get some questions. Yes, thank you very much for that, Lynn. Um, thank you also to the attendees for sticking with us this far. I've also sent again in the chat a link to the slide deck PDF in case you have not downloaded it or seen it. So we have a question actually that I've um, tagged to be answered live. The mm -hmm. question is, is a naive user to IPA, sorry, is naive to IPA and one from non-bioinformatics basic science background. I'm trying to understand the impact of analysis match and under what scenarios this analysis would be impactful. Will it be possible to provide any example to illustrate this? Yeah, so what I've talked about before, you know, we're looking at SARS-CoV, right, as just our example. But what you can do, since you haven't used IPA before, um, when you're going into you know, running your analysis, there's a lot more to IPA than just analysis match. Analysis match can tell you what's similar and what's different, but you can also look at, okay, what are 
all the pathways in my analysis that are significantly enriched. So you can go through and look at that information. What are all the upstream regulators that are enriched in my data or diseases and functions? So there's a lot of information here. Um, we've tried to do things to make it a little bit easier because Honestly, when you're looking at IPA results, it's you can get really lost, you know, go down the rabbit hole and say, okay, my hypothesis is that I'm going to see these types of upstream regulators. And then you go, ooh, look at this. Look at the diseases and functions. <laughs> what is this? What's regulator effects? Um, so one of the things we tried to do is make a graphical summary that kind of overall gives you a picture of what is significant in your data set. So a lot of times people will go in and they, you know, they're like, this is great. I've got everything that I need. I, you know, I found all the information I need, but then we decided, well, okay, we've got all this publicly available data and maybe we can find something about a matching analysis. that's going to tell us, okay, I found all these pathways in my analysis that were similar or, or enriched. And now I'm finding a lot of SARS-CoV-2 matches. Um, what's so, and they're enriched with stuff. What pathways are they enriched in? Because maybe this is an overall sort of trend that we see with SARS CoV. Maybe we could go ahead and say, all right, I've got a treatment for SARS CoV, and now I have a treatment for SARS CoV 2, or um, I'm seeing these key biomarker genes. So, it's, analysis match is just another way that you can get information beyond what you're getting from this um, core analysis. So, um, I know there's a lot to IPA, and if you have you know, any questions about it, then you know please feel free to contact us. Um, here's the information again. So we usually, we get lots of questions that come in. It's not just, I need a license or help me, you know, IPA isn't launching. A lot of times it's, I need help with um, understanding this result. Can you help me with this? And so we've got a whole team of people who are ready to help you with that. Mm -hmm. And in the um, spirit of that remark, Lynn, actually, um, I think this would also be interesting to answer live. Mm -hmm. um, not a question from the audience, but one question that might be familiar to you as we often encounter it in the um, support work. So which one do you recommend that users prioritize, Z-scores or p-values? Yes. So yes, Anna, you're absolutely right. We get that question a lot. Um, so you know, you'll see p-values and you'll see Z-scores throughout IPA. It's not just in analysis match. Um, and so my answer to that is always go with the p-value first, because what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, um, what is significant? So if you're going through and you're looking at your pathways and you see, okay, all of these are significantly enriched, then that's the start. That's a starting point. The activation z-score when you're looking at upstream analysis, diseases and functions is kind of like the cherry on top. So it tells you, okay, this is significant. Sorry, Lynn, your audio cut out again. Apologies for the technical Significant? Issue. Your audio resumed uh, just now. Um, you okay. cut off at Pathways. 
I cut off at pathways. Okay, thank you. So um, if you have a p-value here, that tells you it's significant. So out of the 1,200 pathways that are available, you're going to see just the ones that are significant here. Um, but the z-score, the activation z-score is like the cherry on top. Like, okay, now I have a pathway. What else can I get from that information? Oh, it's activated. It's predicted to be activated or, you know, like here, this one is predicted to be inhibited. Okay. Analysis match is a little bit different in that we have the p-value and that's telling us whether that matching is significant. Um, but the z-score is also used as a match to say how much of that is is matching. So it's this one's a little tricky. Um, I always, you know, because this, we show this by default with the z-score to get people like, okay, let's take a look at that. But I would always um, go in and, you know, you can go to the customize table button and then scroll down and yeah, it's down here. You can add these columns here and take a look. But like I said before, when it comes to analysis match, typically if you see a z-score that's like it's, is actually significant, you're usually always going to see a p-value that's significant as well. All right, thank you very much for that, Lynn. That is very helpful, I hope. And yes, thank you. And you're welcome also to the <laughs> attendee who answered that question. Um, I guess we'll have a last call for any questions. Um, going once, going twice. And um, I suppose that's the end of our webinar for today. Thank you again for attending. And should you have any questions later on, you can again approach our support team. That's ts-bioinformatics at kyogen.com. And for any licensing inquiries, you may also contact our licensing team at bioinformaticslicense at kyogen.com. Again, this recording will be made available within 48 hours. And in case you have not been able to download the slide deck from the chat or you are you will be interested to do so later on you can also ask our support team for that copy have a great rest of your day everyone thank you Bye. everybody have a great day